Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Matt Breed, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 31, headlined by Islam, Mahachev, and Tiago Moises. Can't wait to break down this card for you guys. Very interesting in the fact that we don't really have much name value on the card, but there should definitely be some bangers on the card, and obviously some prime betting opportunities that we should be able to take advantage of. And I got three very solid guys to help me break down this card. No... I've had everybody blasting me up all week to like, you got James on again, you got James on again. No, I don't have James on, but I do have some very sharp people that are, uh, definitely know what the hell they're talking about and have very uh, a very good wealth of knowledge to, to share with you guys, especially for the card coming up here. Um, all right, without further ado, let me just start bringing in these guys one by one. And first and foremost, I want to bring in one of the guys that I'm probably closest with in this MMA community. We got my guy, Rockstar Z. What's going, what's going on, Z? Not too much. Sorry to disappoint. I'm not a veteran UFC fighter and coach <laughs> of, you know, MMA talent, but I gamble on fights. So happy to come on here and talk to you, bud. Absolutely, brother. I try to mix it up as much as possible, but I, I told you, I told you when I first started this show, you were scheduled to be on episode numero uno and you're like, ah, I don't really feel it anymore, but I'm glad that you actually got your handicapping cap back on. Not only do you have your handicapping ba cap back on, but you're doing LFA, you're doing Bellator, you're doing all of this mm -hmm. shit. So it, you, you went balls deep, not just, not just easing yourself in. You went all the way back in, dude. Yeah. Well, I really, honestly, I, We'll see how this night pans out uh, long run, but uh, I think there's a lot of value to be had on the lower level MMA. You can get a lot of quick finishes, you can get a lot of mismatches. So I've uh, been trying to put in the work on this lower level and uh, take advantage. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you guys are looking for LFA stuff, my guy Z has you covered for that as well. All right, let's bring in another good buddy of mine. I've done a live stream with him before for one of our past pay-per-views that we've done, and I've been begging him to come on this show as well. Thankfully, he's been able to do it for us this weekend. We got my guy Warrior Bet MMA. What's going on, brother? What's going on, guys? How you doing today? Good, good, man. I, I, again, I've been hounding you to come on this fucking show, and you're like, you know what? All right, I'll do it this week. Just like Z, both you guys. You guys are like, you know what? I'm just going to wait till both of you guys come on. And it, it's only fitting, right? You guys have the same fucking logo pretty much as well. And you guys still haven't changed it either. You guys got to go down and like make a legitimate bet in terms of who has to change their fucking logo. <laughs> when the right fight arises, we will make an avatar bet. <laughs> Right. Here first. Perfect, perfect. Like, keep the same avatar. Just change the fucking color. That's it. Jesus. That's no, we're changing the whole thing. All right, all right. First lastly, <laughs> lastly, we're going to bring on my guy, Narco Cop, here a little bit uh, later that I've actually been known or found this guy. But Narco Cop is definitely a very sharp dude who stays very, very uh, busy inside the MMA streams, showing a lot of support to us, and obviously making his own bets as well, too. What's going on, brother? What's up, Black? Thanks for having me. What's up, Z, Warrior? Glad to be here. For sure, for sure, brother. I'm really looking forward to having this cast on because everybody has a different thing that they really like to attack, especially when it comes to MMA betting. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what kind of uh, points of views and angles that we can break down all of these upcoming fights for. So uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's just fucking get right into it. First and foremost, we got uh, a heavyweight slop fest kicking off this car. We got Rodrigo Nascimento going up against Alan Baudo. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 315, I believe it is. There it is. Uh, minus 315 on Nascimento, plus 285 on Alain Baudot. I'll kick things off here. Very simple fight to break down. We got a grappler in Nascimento. We got a striker in Baudot. But the difference between these two guys 
That's the mentor actually deserves to be inside the UFC. Bado, not so much really. The guy came into the UFC off of a disqualification win after his opponent tested positive for weed a month or two after the fight actually took place. I know Todd Stout. I used to used to work at, or to work out of the gym that I used to work at, and yeah, they they popped him for marijuana. And the Quebec, Quebec commission is just so stupid and behind the times that they don't even change it to a no contest. They actually change it to a win for the other opponent. So Bado comes on comes into the UFC off of a loss pretty much uh and then gets absolutely manhandled by Tom Aspinall but the intriguing part of that Todd Stout fight was the fact that Todd Stout is known to be a knockout puncher he's more of a striker that goes out there and tries to knock your head off not a grapple fucker and what did he do he grapple fucked Alan Bado had a lot of success doing so had a very close arm uh I believe it was arm triangle choke at the ending of that second round and then eventually found the rear naked choke in the third round to get that finish uh Nascimento should be able to roll relatively easy here I'm not sure if Bado truly has that knockout power to put uh, Nascimento down. Uh, I don't think he has the same type of striking skills that Chris Stalkis has been showing off in his last couple fights. And I think that's just going to make it even easier for Nascimento to close the distance, drag this fight to the ground, and then eventually find a choke. I'm going to call it arm triangle choke. I think he's going to be able to find that relatively easy here. And uh, Nascimento looked in solid shape as well once he hit the scales as well. Uh, I think that's going to play uh, into his benefit very, very well here. The last thing I'll say about this, Baudot is light heavyweight. He's not a heavyweight. He's a blown-up light heavyweight, does not deserve to be at uh, 265 pounds. And unluckily for him, he's going up against a big jujitsu brute in Nascimento, and I expect this fight especially to go under one and a half here. So I personally have a bet myself at minus 145 on uh, the under two and a half here, as I do believe, or sorry, under one and a half here, as I do believe that I'll be very easy for Nassiman to drag this fight to the ground and get that submission Z. I'll hand it on over to you in terms of how you feel about this fight and if you have any takes on it. Well, we're talking about sloppy heavyweight bangers and there's another sloppy heavyweight banger that just started and I've got the under two, <laughs> under one and a half for this LFA, um, Vice versus Gigante. But yeah, I like, um, I like the doesn't go here. It's a little chalky, but I think there's a very clear path to victory, path to a finish for uh, Nascimento, like you alluded to. He should be able to get takedowns with ease. He should dominate Baudo on the mat, but he's not really a top-level heavyweight, and he was knocked out in his last fight out. Plus, Baudo does possess some spinning elbows, pretty light on his feet. At least he was at 205. So you could opt for Nascimento inside the distance. You get a better line there, but I just uh, laid the chalk and took doesn't go the distance. Minus 350, uh, and I put three units on that. I like it. I like it. Uh, Warrior, I feel as though this is a spot that you like to target that fight doesn't go to decision or at least the under in this spot. How are you feeling about this fight? Yeah, um, to kind of touch on your point, um, this fight was stout. I don't know how many takedowns he landed in that fight exactly, but the difference is one takedown and it can be over for Nascimento here. So um, one thing that I wrote before anything on my notes here was watch what Nascimento weighs in at. Um, yeah, he weighed in at he tipped the scales his last fight versus Dockers, and uh, just watching that fight, he looked it looked off. He looked off to me. It, it's a good previous previous fights he had weighed in at two fifty five and two fifty, I believe. So it's a good thing here that he weighed in at I believe it was two fifty nine. So instead of tipping the scales, uh, he did to your point look in better shape here, and I think it's it's pretty simple here. We don't have to dig too deep into technical analysis here. It could be one takedown and the fight's over for Nascimento. Um, if you want to throw throw the under one and a half aside and parlay, the fight doesn't go to decision. Instead of that, just do Nascimento in round one. I think this should be a, a fairly easy fight for Nascimento. Um, previous to him getting knocked out versus Dawkins, I thought he showed pretty good striking ability. 
Um, I think Dawkins knockout is weighing heavy on a lot of people's minds. I think you need to forget that. This is a different fight. This is a different opponent. Uh, Nascimento is going to finish this fight in the very first round. Yeah, Dawkins definitely shows a lot of improvements from fight to fight, especially with his hand speed and his accuracy, which is something that I don't think that Baudot actually possesses. And it seems like Z just catches under one and a half in I, I did. LFA fight. Speaking of first round knockouts, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Two units Hopefully of Hopefully we get the same thing from Nascimento tomorrow with a, a submission. Nice. Uh, no, whatever the fuck it is. First round finish for Nascimento would be great. Uh, Narco Cop, I'm actually going to swing it on over to you. Do you have anything else to really throw into this matchup or do you pretty much echo the same sentiments that we have? I pretty much echo everything you guys have. Um, I have, personally, I have Nascimento by submission. Um, hmm. I mean, Bado is so bad on the ground, man. He's yeah. literally clueless down there and, and, and Nascimento is just going to... The only thing I'm afraid of is... is, is getting some ground and pound and, and maybe stopping this guy. But I see him maybe turning his back if he's getting pummeled and then he can put in that rear naked choke. And it's just the levels standing, standing it's pretty close to me, but the levels on the ground is insanely different. So so that's where I see this fight going. And, and I, I don't think he's going to have a hard time taking him down either. I, I think it's going to be fairly easy. Um, he's the much bigger guy. And then like, like you said, um, Baudot is a, is a light heavyweight. He's not a heavyweight. So yeah. pretty much I'm in line with all you guys. Perfect. I love it. I love when we're all on the same page. Warrior, you got something to say? No, real quick. Um, you were talking about how he's really a 205-er. One thing that kind of stuck out to me right on tape uh, with Baudot is that he's pretty light on his feet. He was moving around, and uh, he had some good lateral movement. But the fact that he continues to fight at heavyweight, he took his, se his second UFC fight at heavyweight, it's just mind-boggling. But anyway, I had uh, Tom Ospinall via submission. Versus Baudot in that fight, I took a flyer on that, and he ended up getting the ground and pound. I believe it was like plus 1,000. Um, but, yeah, anyways, to Narco's point, I think a ground and pound finish is there as well for Nascimento. So, but hopefully not. Hopefully it's a submission. You're all happy. Yeah, I definitely remember during that fight week, a lot of people were on that Asmaral sub prop, especially considering the number that it was at. Unfortunately for everybody, he decided to pull out his uh, jujitsu on uh, Andre Olavsky instead of fucking Alan Baudot and pulls off the submission in that fight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Francisco Figueiredo going up against Malcolm Gordon. Obvious chalk here on uh, Baby Figgy, if that's what you want to call him. Minus 295 on him, plus 265 is the return on Malcolm Gordon. And I believe Z actually has a bet on this fight, and I'll actually hand it on over to him as well to uh to kick off the breakdown for this fight as well yeah um pretty easy fight in my opinion to read uh again you could opt for the uh, violence bet like it doesn't go or an under but i took uh, 120 or 1.2 units on uh figueredo inside the distance at plus 115. um people have said you know he's not davison he's not as good a striker as sumaderji but i don't think you need to be either of those things to knock out malcolm gordon with all due respect he's just he doesn't take shots very well um, he doesn't like have a good chin. He doesn't react well to shots. And um, even in a lot of his wins, he gets rocked really bad. So I think Figueredo is strong enough and a good enough jujitsu player to avoid the submissions and uh, just TKO him quick. So uh, I don't know if the money line is warranted. You know, that's where you, people can start to pump the brakes. He is a minus 300, but I've turned a minus 300 into a plus 115. And Gordon has been finished in all of his losses. So I think it stands to reason that if Figueredo wins, it's going to be uh, inside the distance. All right, Warrior, how do you feel about this matchup, brother? I don't have a lot to add there. I mean, this is another kind of lopsided fight. But to Z's point, I think if the fight does get extended and you're there sitting with a minus 330, I don't know how good you're going to be feeling if this goes to the scorecards. 
Um, but I do, I do like uh, Malcolm Gordon's jiu-jitsu. I know he got subbed versus Amir Albazi, but Albazi is really good on the ground. And if there's any way he's going to pull this off, it's going to be via submission. But largely, I think um, it's going to be Figueredo in round one or two, I would say, uh, via KO. It, it's just Malcolm Gordon is too fragile. Uh, like to Z's point, he gets rocked even in his wins. All you got to do is find that chin, little gust of wind, and he's out of there. So pretty simple. Uh, yeah, uh, Narco Cop, I'll let you uh, bring this one on home for us. How do you feel about Figueredo versus Malcolm Gordon here? Pretty much the same thing that Z and Warriors said. The the only thing is I'm, I'm staying away just because Figueredo is, doesn't really impress me. His striking is such low volume. Um, I don't see a lot of pop in his punches. I know Gord, you don't need it with Gordon, like Z said, because Gordon is really fragile, and he literally gets hurt almost every single fight. But the low volume, the, the, the hesitancy to throw when I watch him on tape, it's just uh, it's just a complete pass for me. Yeah, this, this is an intriguing one. Malcolm Gordon is a guy that I've been following for a long time. I believe his second fight was actually with the promotion that uh, I was helping out with Substance Cage Combat, where he actually beat somebody from our gym, a guy named Ahmed Kakar, I believe it was. But uh, I've been following him very closely. There was a couple like high-level uh, Canadian MMA fights that he was involved with. Uh, Chris Kalaitis, uh, I believe he fought. Uh, I, I could be off on this. I, I I don't know why I can't remember this, whether he fought Adrian Woolley or not. But also the um, the, the Yanni Sherbatov fight. That was a very interesting one because Yanni Sherbatov, when he was on the rise, before he even made it to the Ultimate Fighter, that was a guy that was not able to get a fight in the Canadian MMA scene. Nobody wanted to fight this guy. He had a ton of accolades with like boxing, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, samba, all that shit. Nobody wanted to fight Sherbatov. He was this Russian kid from Montreal him and his brother opened up a gym and uh it was just very difficult for anybody to fight johnny sherbatov if you look at his earlier career it's just like scrubs and bums that were willing to take the fight with him which is why he made it to the ultimate fighter with such a like low record i think he only came in to the ultimate fighter with the four or five and oh record um so he uh a lot of people were scared of him but once we saw eric shelton go out there and beat him on the ultimate fighter then people on the canadian scene were willing to actually accept the fight with him as well so uh, that, so when we had Malcolm Gordon and him going up against each other, I thought Yanni Sherbatov was going to walk through him, and he was close to doing so. He he hurt him early in that fight, but then for some reason it was was not able to get the finish. Uh, Gordon closes the distance, drags the fights to the ground, and then pulls off that submission. But I believe during that transition he had hurt something in that in that moment, which is why Sherbatov was not able to defend as best as he could. So that was a and in my eyes that was an upset win. I thought like if I were to line that pre-fight, I would have put Malcolm Gordon probably probably at plus 250, plus 300. So he probably would have cashed. Well, he did cash as a pretty big underdog if there were actually odds attached to that fight. And then obviously he comes over to the UFC and we saw what's happened to him, especially with him trying to eat shots and, and come forward. And it just does not work out for him. Figueredo, you guys touched on it very well. I'm not liking the fact that he's a little bit low volume and he just kind of waits for his shots and more of a pot shotter. And he does have some power in his eyes. I feel like enough power to actually go out there and hurt Malcolm Gordon and eventually put him away. Um, but I, I feel a little bit more skeptical about about it than I did it originally before I actually taped it. The last thing I'll say about that, I like the under two and a half more than I do like the Figueredo line. I'd rather take the violence bet here in case Figueredo does, you know, slip on a banana peel or just gas out trying to stalk him and then eventually find a submission uh, or get submitted by by Gordon. So I'd rather take the under two and a half of the fight doesn't go to decision rather than taking the Figueredo spot here. With that said, I still do think that Figueredo wins this fight inside the distance at a decent clip. Narco Cop, go ahead, brother. What do you got? One more thing. Um... I know Figueredo is also a 35er, a career 35er. Yes. And just recently has dropped a 25 
in his last fight against Rivera. And to that point, too, like Rivera is kind of fragile himself, to be honest. And he couldn't put him away. And 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 to top it off, Rivera was actually putting it on him in round three. So like I just I don't trust Figueredo. That that's the bottom line and, and why I think the stay away is, is better for me in, in this spot. But again, yeah, Gordon is very fragile. I mean for me, away from Figueredo is also the, the lack of legitimate tape we have on him. I don't know about you guys, but I was only able to find like one regional fight uh, for him other than that Jerome, obviously other than the UFC fight. So that's a little bit skeptical for me too in terms of having ultimate confidence. Z, you had something to, to add to this fight? I just wanted to address the uh, low volume. And uh, I agree he is low volume, but in this type of matchup, I just need a guy who's going to throw hard down the pipe. I don't really need a yeah. guy to volume anybody. So I think throwing hard down the pipe is really going to get to Gordon because of his style of defense and with him it, it only takes one clean shot so that, that would just be my counter to that but fair play to both your points if you want to opt for the under or if you want to stay away entirely very reasonable I don't mind that that take as well worried did you have something to say about this matchup brother I would have liked to see how John Lineker versus Figueredo went down he has fought John Lineker take a look at that is right I haven't seen that but Probably yeah. say that was a round one KO for <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that was the oh, case. All right, let, let, let's move this train along because we got at least another eight fights to get through for these guys. Uh, uh, next up, we got Anderson Dos Santos going up against Miles Johns. Very intriguing matchup that we have here. Minus 160-ish on Miles Johns, plus 140 the return on Anderson Dos Santos and Warrior. I'll let you kick this one off for us, brother. What do you got here? You are muted as well, just to let you know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't have too much as far as technical analysis. This feels like a fight Miles John should win. Anderson Dos Santos is probably going to overextend a lot and try to make this a real a real fight, like a brawl. But I think Miles John has a lot of tools. He just I don't think we've really seen him put it all together inside the inside the octagon. I feel like he has a lot of potential, but we just haven't seen it. I think his wrestling is good. His striking is good. This feels like a fight he should win. Uh, like I said, Dos Santos is going to come in, try to brawl, but I think we're going to see a lot of Miles Johns wrestling. If he doesn't get caught in the guillotine, I don't see how Dos Santos is really going to win this fight, if I'm being honest with you. So. It looks like Warrior is going with his fellow Texan, Miles Johns, mm -hmm. in this fight. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling about this fight, brother? So, like, I'm a little higher. Like, a lot of people shit on Miles Johns, and I, I don't really see it. Like, the guy is he's a good technical striker. He's got a really nice jab. Um, the one thing that I saw on tape in this fight that might cause him problems is the fact that he seems to circle around the cage and then get caught on the fence a lot. And he did against Natividad and, and, and Anderson swings pretty big. And then what I see is he shoots for the double leg after he swings, which will, I think, be there for him in this fight. Like as far as Miles John getting stuck on a cage, uh, Anderson throwing a one, two, and then going for a double leg, trying to take him down. Um, but for me, I'm just staying off. Um, it's it's a dogger pass if I had to pick somebody, but uh, I don't have a bet in this in this fight. Yeah, I actually like Dos Santos here. Not enough to actually make a bet on my side here, but I do believe that he has a good shot of actually kind of creating chaos in a sense that Miles Johns won't be able to keep up with it and then eventually finding a submission or at least, uh, you know, uh, rocking and clubbing and subbing him or something like that. You know, Miles Johns is a wrestler. Also, uh, he always has that wrestling type of striking style, which is, you know, those wide winging hooks, splitting forward and just trying to knock your heads, uh, your opponent's head off. Uh, doesn't really throw in crazy combinations. It's more so just to intimidate you with that power and then eventually, you know, 
drop down for a single leg or or or, or a double leg, push up against the cage, get that wrestling going, try to grind you out. But I, I would like to see a little bit more combination work from him, especially to u- utilize that power that he has in his hands. Uh, we've seen in the past he does seem to slow down a little bit in the uh, in the last rounds of his fights. And Anderson Dos Santos is just a wild man at times, and I like the fact that he's kind of embracing his chaotic nature because that's where he's able to find most of his success when he does get the wins. You know, Martin Day probably did the stupidest thing that you could ever do in his uh, in his fight against uh, Dos Santos here. You know, finally gets up to his feet and then decides to turn to Daniel Cormier, tries to throw Anderson Dos Santos over his head, leaves his neck exposed, and gets guillotined and pays for it there. So we definitely know that Anderson Dos Santos has that clamp if it, if if he needs it i think his best shot here is more than likely he's going to give up that first round i'd be surprised if he wins the first round but after that let that chaotic nature go let your wild striking go try to make uh miles johns go into desperation mode or or that reflex of his which is i'm going to go shoot if i find myself in trouble and possibly dos santos could be ready for some sort of guillotine or something like that or better case scenario for dos santos finds a club and sub opportunity especially when he has miles johns reeling and maybe even trying to time an uppercut a knee or something especially when miles johns is trying to close that distance and try to get a desperation takedown but i do like dos santos in the spot i am going to favor the uh the, the underdog in the spot uh this is a possible round three spot as well for me too with dos santos uh, i believe it's around plus 1500 plus 1750 uh I, i'd be looking at to, to take a little bit of a shot on that as well just for degenerate's sake but i do like dos santos here um i don't know if it's because i just have a i, I don't feel like i have a bias against miles johns i don't know what it is i just feel as though uh th- there are some times where he you know he, he can get away with beating the regional level guys and get away with beating the the mid to lower tier level guys but there's just certain spots where anderson dos santos that once he introduces the chaos into the fight he should be able to take advantage of some of his opponents but let's see if he can do it effectively here against miles johns and i'll say this i know i said lower level ufc fighters obviously he has a win over adrian yanez on the regional scene and that's a big time win as well but i do think that uh, he does show some holes here and once he starts continuously taking levels up uh, in competition it's only gonna uh, make him pay and i think that uh, anderson dos santos a lot of people have kind of just written him off considering he has a 21 and 8 record and started off his ufc career 0 and 2 but as he showed in his last fight he does have fight in him and he does have finishing capabilities and i think it's live here to potentially finish miles johns via submission z i'm gonna let you finish up this matchup for us brother how do you feel about uh anderson dos santos and miles johns i'll let you know sorry i'm watching more action that i have action on <laughs> in the corner of my eye here but you, uh, do you have a bet on every lfa fight <laughs> i got this i got this one it's looking good for me man i got this one but uh, arm bars in arm bars in <laughs> let her lock this up man i'll cash her in the end the under um nice. but so with miles johns and anderson dos santos i am a, i agree with you lock i want to bet dos santos but there's a few things keeping uh me away from it i think his Pressure is definitely going to force Johns back to the cage. But then from there, I don't know what he's going to do with that. You know what I mean? If he shoots on Johns, I think Johns is a better grappler, uh, stronger athlete as well. And on the feet, I respectfully disagree with Narco Cop. I don't think Johns is a great striker. Uh, he's got a powerful jab down the, down the pipe. But he's a little bit low volume. He does have a good shell, keeps his hands up in good position. Um, but I think... Uh, seasoned strikers will exploit him. Um, but Anderson Dos Santos is not really a seasoned striker, more of a wild man throwing a big loopy overhand right, uh, very aggressive fighter, and he's older. You know what I mean? I think the age difference is 27 to 35, and 35 is old for a bantamweight. So with all that being said, I am tempted on Dos Santos as a plus 150, and if he hits, you know I'm going to say I regret passing uh, a win, but 
Um, oh, and I just cashed two bets there. That's nice. Hey. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna have to be a little disciplined here and uh, and pass the fight. Um, yeah, I think Miles Johns wins a decision. I don't really think he covers his number, so I would pump the brakes on putting him in parlays or laying a lot of money on him. But uh, yeah, I'm just not confident in Dos Santos enough to take the shot. And he's very hittable. He keeps his head on that center line. He gets hit a lot. So I do see Johns having success with the jab down the pipe, stopping that forward pressure. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Khalid Taha going up against Sergey Morozov. In terms of odds, we got minus 140 on Taha and plus 120 on Sergey Morozov, the Kazakhstani Narcocop. I'm actually going to let you kick this one off for us, brother. How are you feeling about this matchup? So um, me personally, I'm kind of high on Taha just because I think the guy's an athletic freak for one. Um, dude can crack. He has a lot of power. Um, he really impressed me in, in his actual loss to Barcelos. Like just to stay in that fight, the way he got beat. I mean, his yeah, his, his defense was pretty bad because he was just getting lit up. But but to have the cardio and to take that punishment and keep on coming. I mean, uh, and and I think he clipped Barcelos in that third round a couple of times himself and made Barcelos shoot. Um, but in, in this in this particular fight, Morozov just seems kind of fragile to me. Uh, Umar, I think, hurt him. I think Rittenhouse uh, knocked him out on, on the regional scene in M1. Um, he's been hurt a couple of other times that I saw on tape. And, and, and I just think Taha on the feet, I think he can spark him and, and land that KO. So I took a little something on, on Taha at plus 500 by KO. Um, other than that, uh, that's all I have on that fight. All right, all right. I'm actually on the, the Sergey Morozov side in this fight. I, I do believe that he has solid uh, skills to actually make this fight, to uh, make it look like he's a favorite in this spot. A very good level of competition on the regional scene. Obviously, we know the M1 Global and, and the Fight Nights Global scene is a little bit tougher than at least like the LFA and the TKO scenes that we're seeing on the North American side of things. So I like the level of competition that we've been seeing Sergey Morozov go up against over there in Russia, not to mention... Talk about a tough UFC debut going up against another UFC debutant who just is otherworldly in his skills. And uh, I think that it might be playing a little bit into this betting line as well, considering the fact that Morozov was finished in his UFC debut. Khalid Taha has had a little bit more of an up and down UFC stretch. I'd say the brightest spot for him was starching Boston Salmon. I almost forgot about that guy, but uh, starching him relatively quickly. And that was actually a fight that he came in as a slight underdog in that, uh, 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 in that fight, if you guys remember that too. A lot of people are expecting Boston Salmon to put on a, a striking clinic on him there, but he just was not able to handle the power of Khalid Taha. Uh, I will say this, though. Kala, uh, Narco, you are absolutely uh, spot on in terms of his power and his, his explosiveness. I definitely think that's his best skills. Uh, he does apparently have an equivalent to a D2 wrestling background over there in Germany, but we obviously know that, you know, no matter where you are in the world, wrestling is a completely different level depending on whether in Russia, in the States, England, wherever the fuck you are seeing Nad Nirmani have as much takedown success against Kalita, seeing uh, even Bruno Silva taking that entire second round off of one takedown was very impressive to me. Uh, pretty much almost anybody is able to land a takedown on Taha, but it, it depends on if they can survive that early onslaught that they're going to be getting from Taha. Not to mention... This is Taha post-USADA as well, too, right? This is He's only had one performance post-USADA, and it was that fight against Hani Barcelos again. His stock may have rose slightly a little bit, even though he ended up coming off on the losing side in that fight. But I do think that if Sergey Morozov 
can survive that first round, which I believe he does. He could be hittable at times, but I think he his durability is starting to catch up to him once again. He did get knocked out by Reading House, like you had said, uh, a couple years ago, but he has avenged that loss, beat Reading House over a solid five rounds, and I was coming into the UFC, obviously, off of that loss now. But I think that he will be able to endure that first round against Daha and then start to land takedowns in the second and third round. I think his striking is serviceable enough. I think he has pretty decent boxing. I don't think he has the same power as Taha, but I still think he has good enough striking that he should be able to stay away from the big power and then eventually start landing those takedowns in the second and third round. And I think his cardio is good enough to absolutely hold up as well. I think that's where Bruno Silva started to falter in that fight is that he seemed to gas in that third round, which is where Taha was truly able to take advantage of him. But I do like... Uh, Morozov in this fight. I took a shot on him at plus 125. I think that's a decent spot here. Like I said, I think it should be closer to evens, maybe even Morozov as a slight favorite here. Uh, but I'm very intrigued to see how this fight goes, especially, you know, Taha post USADA and not against a guy like Hani Barasolis, who we already know is a very proven fighter, even though he came out on the losing end last time around. So I like Morozov here. I'm going to take decision. I think the decision prop is not too bad at either. I think Taha is still quite durable, still quite tough, as he obviously showed in the Hani Barcelos fight. So I do think that we'll see Morozov at least win rounds two and three in this fight with takedowns and control time. Z, I'll pass it on over to you, brother. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, so when I was looking at the tape, I was getting all gung-ho to bet Taha and maybe Taha by knockout. I still don't think Taha by knockout is a bad look at plus 400 because his left hook is tight and he throws steam. But speaking of throwing steam... I don't think he looked the same in, against Barcelos. Now, at first, I was like, oh, he he went in there, tough fight versus Barcelos, who's a very, very highly skilled fighter, right? So I kind of gave him a pass. But when I watched the, the fights in succession, I just don't think he had the same type of fast twitch explosiveness that he had uh, in his other fights. So I agree with you, Locke. I think that's a big question mark or, you know, could be a red flag, at least a question mark. Um, and Sergey or Sergey Morozov, he's not a bad fighter at all. You know, good, decent striking, well-rounded, good grappling, like very experienced. Has only lost to good fighters too. Um, shout out again to uh, Uncle Wheezy because he did a balls deep breakdown on this fight. And uh, man, that guy brings the stats. I'll tell you that much. He he's legit. Um, so I I don't hate a shot, a small shot on Morozov. I haven't bet the fight. Um, but yeah, my, my the biggest angle here, I think, is that USADA could really be playing uh, a big factor with Taha's career. Last thing I'll say, though, is one of the specifics I noticed was Morozov does tend to hold that right hand low. And so a guy with a nice tight left hook could can exploit that uh, tendency. And I always like when I'm looking at stylistics and stuff, I like to look for tendencies, things that fighters do habitually. Um, and so I wouldn't be shocked at all if Taha um, murks him and just knocks him out. But at the end of the day, if he's compromised from USADA, I I don't like backing him. So um, yeah, it's just a, it's going to be a stay away from me. But betting wise, I would say take Morozov or take Taha knockout. Uh, Warrior, both Mike and Z definitely alluded to the fact that the best way that Taha wins this fight is knockout at a plus 500. That's a great line. And I think that's probably the way that people should be going, especially if they're betting Taha. Do you see any other paths to victory for him in this fight? And ultimately, who do you end up seeing win in this fight? Uh, I'll do you one better. Taha round one KO is plus one thousand. Um, I go. think all a lot of his success is going to be front loaded in this fight. I think the fact that he hits so hard is probably a good thing for Morales out here. Once he realizes how guard, how hard this guy hits, I think he's going to tie up. And I saw a lot on tape. You give this guy double underhooks, you're going down. The difference with uh, Bruno Silva, I know uh, Bruno Silva had a little bit of success in that fight, but 
Morozov is so much bigger than uh, Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva was formerly at 125, I believe. Morozov for this weight class is pretty fucking big. He's pretty fucking physical. And um, I just think as the fight extends, I think it's going to go towards the side of Morozov. Um, like I said, plus 1,000 for KO for Taha in round one. But as the fight extends, I'm not confident Taha looks very good throughout the 15 minutes. Like I said, his uh, success is front-loaded in my opinion. And uh, since when did it matter that you took a beating against a high-level guy like Ronnie Barcelos and were rating him higher than what he actually is? I don't. I think he is overrated, to be honest with you. Just because he took a beating in Barcelos' fight, I mean, virtually there was nothing there. He did nothing in that fight. Um, he, he was supposed to get his ass whooped um, in his favor, and he did, but I don't think there was anything there. I think the USADA, like you guys were mentioning, We'll play a factor. I think down the stretch, morals up, and uh, I like decision as well. Plus two twenty-five. I like it. I like it. Um, the the one thing I'll say about uh, Morozov here as well, I think he has a bright future inside the UFC, but he still just needs to get a little bit more favorable matchups as well. I think that this is a favorable matchup for him. The Nurmagomedov fight, I'm just going to completely scratch that one off the record, especially when I'm taping and moving forward, because how can you really cap that fight in terms of uh, you know matching it to whoever's gonna, whoever he's going to be facing moving forward here? All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got Amanda Lemos going up against Montserrat Canejo. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at heavy chalk here, minus 525 on Lemos and plus 450 on Montserrat uh, Canejo. And I believe we're right back to me in terms of doing the breakdowns here. Yeah, I'll kick things off for you guys. I do like Lemos in this spot. Am I going to pay that minus 525? More than likely not. Uh, I'd rather take her inside the distance or at least via KO. I do believe that's the best way to, to approach this fight. Does Canejo uh, find success once again with that head and arm throw and, and keeping her in that bully beatdown mode? I know my guy Warrior Battle MMA is still uh, still has some PTSD from that last fight. <laughs> I can't wait to get back over to him for this breakdown. But uh, yeah, I, I'd be very surprised if Conejo finds similar success, I think that Lemos, uh, you know, will fully utilize her four-inch height and reach advantage that she'll have in this fight, keep her on the outside, land the big bombs from the outside, and then eventually find that finish. Uh, the, the one thing here is, though, Ruiz never been finished, only lost was to former UFC fighter Danielle Taylor, but I don't think she's ever fought anybody like Lemos in the past, and that's going to be the difference here. And especially at the weigh-ins this morning, we saw it. She came in at 113 pounds. That just lets you know how small this girl is. She's an atom weight. She's an atom weight fighter, and I can't wait for the UFC to eventually adopt that division because I believe that division is much deeper than what we have at 145 pounds. So we might as well just get rid of 145 at this point in time. But uh, in regards to this fight, I think Lemos looks good enough. Uh, she looked great at the weigh-ins, in my opinion. Looks shredded, caught up, ready to go. And I think that it's going to be very difficult for Ruiz to continuously close the distance while going through a hell and a high water. Uh, and I think that uh, the, the spots that I'm looking at, Lemos inside the distance, Lemos, uh, VKO, and Leo, Lemos, even in round one plus 300, I take a little bit of a sprinkle on that because I just don't think that Ruiz will be able to, to, to handle that pressure. Last thing I'll say about this, and then I'll flip it on over to Z. Seeing the way that Lemos disposed of Lavinia Souza was very impressive. Souza was one of those girls that was like former Invicta champion. You know, she had her success. She even came into the UFC, albeit against Alex Chambers. She was a minus 1400 favorite. That just lets you know what kind of skill level that girl has. But then Lemos is just on a completely different level when you're talking about striking and power. And we definitely saw it in that fight. So to get finished by a power jab and then ground and pound, absolutely crazy, especially against, the, in my opinion, pretty high level woman at that weight class in the Vinia Souza. So Lemos has a very bright future in my opinion. Z, I'm pretty certain you have a bet on Lemos in this spot. Explain as to why and eventually how you see this fight going down. 
Yeah, I don't uh, disagree with anything you said, except maybe Souza being a high-level fighter. But I don't really think that's uh, that's relevant because what I was looking at is just the evolution of Lemos. You know, um, even if you go back to her Leslie Smith fight in 2017, did she get walked down? Yeah. Did she lose that fight? Yeah. But she was throwing some pretty big offense, and she's got that you know Figueredo or or that Alcantara style, that wide stance, those low hands, everything's with power. Um, so. Even in that loss, up 20 pounds, she showed some good things, you know, in that fight. Came back, beat Miranda Granger, grabbed the neck, no problem there. She fought my bae, Mizuki Inoue, who, <laughs> yo, don't sleep on Mizuki Inoue. I still think she's pretty good. She's uh, durable, strong, and she got dropped hard in that first round. So, uh, again, shows that Lemos is uh, lethal or at least dangerous. And then finally in the Souza fight, it was just the composure and the like staying tight, staying technical, the heavy leg kick. Just she really looked to put her whole game together and she still displayed everything that she's shown in the past. You know, I mean, she's just getting better and better, improving. So, yeah, I took uh, Lemos inside the distance at plus 120. I put 1.2 on that. You might want to opt for the doesn't go just because the the difference between the two is very small. It's like minus 105 for the doesn't go. So fair play if you want to include Montserrat's chance to just pepper her out from the head and arm throw. Uh, I just don't think it's it's likely at all. But again, fair play. And then I also took uh, 40 or 0.4 units on uh, Lemos in round one plus 300, like you said, Locke. I just think those big shots down the pipe are going to be huge. The leg kick's going to chop her down. Um, and I just don't think Montserrat's at this level. Like you, like you said, she lost to uh, Daniel Taylor, a much smaller woman much smaller fighter right and she's only fighting much smaller fighters and um she got kind of lit up in that fight you know not it wasn't brutal it wasn't bad but if daniel taylor is doing that to her amanda lemos has long range bombs down the pipe good technical proficiency um i think she steamrolls uh ruiz but you're looking at a minus 500 minus 600 fair play to you if you got in earlier on the money line that's probably a better angle long term but where it's at now i'd prefer to opt for uh the bets that i did um or again, you you could opt for just the the doesn't go the distance to cover the other side as well. Warrior, I can't remember the last time that we've seen a fighter lose their UFC debut and then make such a dramatic change in their game and and their physique. Obviously, dropping down weight classes and all that stuff, and then having as much success as she did. Uh, obviously, after that Leslie Smith fight, uh, how do you think she fares in this fight against Reese? And Z, I'll get back to you as soon as Warrior's done with his with his take here, brother. Uh, similar to the thoughts of Z, we're not. Um... I had Lemos in her two fights after that Leslie Smith fight. And when I watched that Leslie Smith fight, I, I think it was obvious she's in the wrong weight class. And um, even in a loss, that's one of the more impressive uh, debuts or performances you can really find. Like as far as technique is concerned and just the power she had, that that's unheard of at whatever, what is this, 115 or 125 weight class? Um, it's kind of unheard of, man. It's... Um, and shout out to Danielle Taylor, one of the toughest girls to look good against. Not even Whaley Zane looked good against her. Mm. Anyways, that's beside the point. Um, I still have nightmares about Cheyenne Baez and uh, <laughs> Conejo, to your point, dude. I had Baez in there, and I just thought it was it's really easy to beat this girl. You take the center of the octagon. I know we talk, or some people talk about her wrestling credentials, but she doesn't have any wrestling. She has a head and arm throw, and that's it. All you got to do is be aware of that right overhook. Don't let her get her right overhook over your head or across your left shoulder or whatever. And there's no issues. Take the center, leg kicker. 
but I think Lemos is going to do more than that. I think she's going to take her fucking head off, and I think it's going to be like a, a round one KO. Lemos is just violent, man. She's a different kind of fighter, and uh, I, I'm not going anywhere near this fight just because of the PTSD, like you mentioned. But um, I think Lemos is, is a level above here, and I think she's she's in line for a bigger fight than this. I don't even know why she's getting this fight. Uh, she deserves a, a really high-level fight next after she gets the job done on Saturday. So uh, round one KO for Lemos uh, isn't too bad. Uh, I agree with that spot. And uh, it should be a pretty violent finish. I, I truly expected you to have actually a bet on this fight to potentially get your money back off of that. Off of that it was last. so bad, bro. I just don't even... Like, historically I, speaking, I, I know your betting style, and I feel like you never bet chalk of any sort, and that was one spot that you actually ended up taking the chalk and then ended up paying for it. And I'm assuming having that PTSD, you don't want to go through that once again. I mean, yeah, it's that exactly. And just the fact that Cheyenne buys made that fight a lot harder than she yeah. had to, man. And it's just like... Um, Safe Sayu's in her corner, right? Yeah. Just shouting at the top of his lungs instructions and her not listening, her crashing the pocket a little too hard every time and giving uh, Conejo the fight she wanted against the cage. Um, it's It was just so frustrating, man. That fight, this fight is easy for anybody that is competent. Cheyenne Bias clearly wasn't. Uh, I think Lemos is. Even if even if she gets that right overhook, I don't even think it's going to be a problem for Lemos. Um it should be a, a, an easy walk in the park for Lemos here. I like it. Z, uh, you were going to say? I just wanted to add a few things. Um, she's bringing in attributes to this fight. I think she's four inches taller with four inches of reach. That's substantial, and it, it bodes well for her style of, of long-range, heavy power shots. And then Ruiz is scrappy. She's she's pretty tough, and she comes to fight. Um, but even if she's getting that arm throw, uh, the head and arm throw, I think Lemos can take the back off of that. That's why I opted for uh, inside the distance instead of the knockout because she might just take the back, grab the neck. Um, but yeah, that was all. Mainly just the, the attributes that she she brings to the table here. I like it. Mike, bring us on home with this uh, matchup, brother. So that last point Z just made, like um, I was originally going to look at her at, at KO, and then and then I said, you know what? Ruiz is just so wild with these head and arm throws. She might take her back, choke her out. Like, Lemos is competent down there, you know. And, and the other thing, initially when I looked at this fight, I watched that Danielle Taylor fight. And to me, that's a bad look. I mean, Danielle Taylor is another Adam Way too. Like, she's really small. And then now she's fighting Lemos that's huge for this division. Big power puncher. Like, I honestly don't see a path where Ruiz wins this fight. Like, she's screwed everywhere, to be honest. Like, yeah, that had an arm throw, but I just don't see it in this fight. Like, Lemos is so strong, big. Um, um, so I, I just took her inside the distance at pl plus 115. Uh, I think that's a great line. You're turning a, a minus 550, minus 600 favorite into a, 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 you know, a plus 115, which I think that's the most likely path. Like, yeah, she could win a decision, but I really think, like, the stoppage is a very high possibility here. And, 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 um, I just don't see what Ruiz has for her, to be honest. Uh, I love the uh, the pre-fight build-up to that Cheyenne buys and and uh, Ruiz fight where Baze was just saying, I know all she has is a shitty-ass head and arm throw, <laughs> yet she's still getting caught in it. Probably one of the worst pre-fights. <laughs> okay, okay, don't, don't worry, Warrior. We'll move on from this fight so we can, uh, yeah, fuck it up. All right. Uh, next up, we got Daniel Rodriguez taking on Short Norris, Preston Parsons. In terms of odds, obviously chalk on Rodriguez here at minus 325. Plus 295 is the return on Preston Parsons. Uh, Z, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off for us, brother. How are you feeling about the Short Norris Parsons, and do you think he has what it takes to take out D-Rod? 
No. <laughs> short notice and uh, short range. What I noticed in his fights is he really likes to operate at that short range, knees and elbows, uh, tight range punches. But D-Rod is a serious dude with a serious southpaw skill set. And uh, I really think he put it all together his last fight out versus Mike Perry, a guy who finished Preston Parsons. At least that's what Tapology says. I know Locke was alluding to some of the uh, <laughs> some of the, those were wrong. But um of the fights that I did see, I think Preston Parsons is pretty well built, pretty strong, but I just don't think he can hang with D-Rod on, on the feet. And I think D-Rod's going to maintain that range, shoot down the pipe, um, and just, just box him up. So betting-wise, again, I would probably opt for D-Rod inside the distance. I think it's minus 170, 180-ish. Or you could just say fight doesn't go the distance chalk here around minus 300 but Preston has never been the distance he's only been out of the first round once apparently and um that was he only made it to the second round so I don't see him going the distance in his debut versus the toughest fighter he's ever fought so uh yeah I'll give me uh Daniel Rodriguez knockout round one or two a warrior uh I want to get your thoughts on this I find it with this Combat Night Pro promotion that uh, Parsons was fighting for, as well as WXC, a promotion that Justin James used to fight for. I'm sure you can remember it off the top of your head. Uh, th their cages are so fucking small compared to even the small cage in the UFC. And I felt like it really benefited a guy like Preston Parsons, who didn't need to close that much distance to get his hellacious style off and then eventually land takedowns to get those submissions or, or ground and pound finishes. One, how much do you think that's going to play into a factor, you know, with him going into a, a bigger cage this time around and to do, do you ultimately think he springs the upset over d rod here um i think he's definitely up against it here um honestly i watched tape on him first i'm pretty familiar with daniel but i kind of like what he presented i like his wrestling i like how big he is for the weight class he looks really strong i think he's gonna do well in the ufc but he, this is a tough fight and i think he has to have like a near perfect kind of game plan to beat d rod and it might be recency bias, but the fact that Mike Perry, once he started wrestling, I know Mike Perry's strong as hell, and he can probably take anyone down. He he continues to say he's not a wrestler, he's a fucking striker, but honestly, Mike Perry is a fucking grappler, and he's a damn good one at that. I don't know what he doesn't understand, but um, yeah, I think Preston Parsons, it looks good overall. I like what I saw on tape. Uh, it's a good thing he is small, fighting in a smaller cage in this fight. If he was fighting in the big cage, I think the odds would probably be, be a little bit wider for D-Rod here. Um, but it comes down to, is he going to give D-Rod the space to operate? Because if he does, he's going to look like a fish out of water. It's as simple as that. If he's not hammering that low kick uh, from range, if they are at range, and uh, he's not having success in the pocket, um, he's going to look like a fish out of water. He needs a low kick, and he needs to drive into D-Rod, use his small cage, and uh, he needs to wrestle. Um, I like his jiu-jitsu, um, but like Z said, I don't think he's ever been out of the second round. Maybe what did you say it was once? only only been to the second round twice but at the same time has d-rod fight the kind of wrestling if Preston parsons does take that path what's to say his cardio doesn't look a little worse for wear in round three or round two later on in the fight so um, essentially i think parson has to attack with a wrestling heavy game plan he needs to watch out for the guillotine if uh, he's a little over he shoots a bad takedown um but i do like Preston parsons going forward so um Ultimately, I think he's up against it here, but um, we'll see. Um, I don't have a bet in this fight. I think largely probably D-Rock finish, um, but I'm not counting out Preston Parsons. That's all I got to say. 
I like it. Mike, uh, it's pretty much been insinuated by pretty much everybody so far that Parsons probably needs takedowns to win this fight. Just statistically speaking, Mike Perry went 2 of 4 on takedowns on Rodriguez, and Nicholas Dalby went 0 of 7 of takedowns on Rodriguez here. How do you think that Parsons fares against D-Rod in this matchup? So I'll take it back like to that Perry fight. I read an article on, on that Perry fight with Parsons, and everything that I read said that Parsons was dominating that fight until he got caught with a knee. That's how he got knocked out. He got caught with a knee. And and to what Warrior said, like, I'm kind of impressed with what I see with Parsons. Like, the dude is strong, like, has good wrestling, good jiu-jitsu. Um, but in this particular fight, like, D-Rod is a 10th planet guy. Like, he knows how to how to grapple. Like, and, and then the one thing that I saw with Parsons is when he shot, he, like, put his neck out there all the time. And with a guy like D-Rod, like, he'll snatch up that neck when he, when he can. And... And for me, getting a plus sixteen hundred on D Rod by submission is a is a pretty good bet, to be honest. Just because of how often I think Parsons is going to shoot and how many opportunities D Rod will have for that guillotine. And we've already seen Preston's get submitted by a guillotine in his last loss to Valdir Araujo, who is probably a higher level black belt than what D-Rod brings to the table. But still, at, at the skill set that D-Rod brings to the table here, he could potentially snatch that up as well. Yeah, I, I see it pretty much the same as you guys. I, I, I thought I would be stronger on Daniel Rodriguez before the tape, but after writing the tape, I do think that Parsons has a little bit of a shot here, especially considering the, the Banshee-type style that he fights with. Just fucking moves forward, throws hell in high water at his opponents, and, you know... The, Daniel Rodriguez had, could have the greatest footwork and the greatest jab and all that type of stuff, but it's very difficult to deal with a guy that's just going to be just running forward at you, not really giving a fuck about what's being thrown back at him. I don't know how much the jab is truly going to affect him early, but as soon as he starts to eat accumulation of jabs, I'm sure he's going to start to back off a little bit. I do think that he's one of those guys that like is a kill or be killed kind of guy. I'd be surprised to see this fight even go to a decision. Ultimately, I ended up picking up D-Rod to win this fight by second round knockout, as I do believe that's when we're going to see Parsons start to slow down and then eventually the jab and the striking of Daniel Rodriguez start to come to fruition. Not to mention, it's probably going to um, uh, it's probably going to extract very uh, desperate takedowns from Preston Parsons. So the potential of the guillotine is there, but the potential of you know a knee up the middle. Rodriguez is still a big dude at this weight class. That's definitely a, a tool that I feel that he can use in this. And then obviously the uppercut is another great tool to um, to combat uh, desperation takedowns as well. So I do like D Rod in this spot as long as he su survives that uh, the early onslaught here. Um, I I wouldn't mind taking D-Rod. I will say this. This could be a potential live betting opportunity as well. We could potentially get a better line on Daniel Rodriguez after round one, as I do believe the strongest round that Parsons will have is round one. So that is something to keep an eye on in case it goes into round two. Uh, but yeah, I'm picking uh, Rodriguez second round knockout. Mike, you had something to, to interject, brother? Just one more thing, like um, with Parsons, like he's fought decent competition on the regional scene. Just like he's not fought like a bunch of cans, like he's fought Bahamondes, who's in the UFC. I'm not saying he's the highest level guy, but what I'm trying to say is he hasn't fought complete cans on the regional scene. So he's been tested on the regional scene. So don't like he's not going to be like a fish out of water from what I saw on tape. 
Looks like Blencow just got to get a third round TKO finish over Dayana Silva. Big win for Blenko there, especially via finish. But yeah, it looks like we're pretty much all on the Daniel Rodriguez side here. But we do give some credence to the fact that Preston can make this a much closer fight than the odds actually indicate. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got, uh, yeah, this is the first fight on the, the main card. So I do want to remind you guys, please do hit that like, hit that subscribe. And you guys can find the Twitter handles and pages of these fellas in the description below. So just click that description and then click on the link of these guys and hit them with a follow because I promise they'll be blessing your timeline with some MMA knowledge that you guys will most definitely need, especially when you guys are handicapping fights. All right, let's get into the first main card fight of the night. We got Billy Quarantillo going up against Gabriel Benitez. And uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus uh, 160 for Gabriel Benitez, plus 140 for Billy Quarantillo. And I believe we have Warrior kicking off this breakdown for us, Warrior. How do you, how do you see this fight going down? Uh, initially, th this was probably the first fight I taped for the week, and um, just because I had a feeling it was like, this feels like a what have you done for me lately kind of spot, and the yes. odds I felt like opening-wise and the fact that they got hammered down a little bit to Gabriel Benitez, it was exactly that. I mean, Billy Q, if you can count on him to do one thing, is make a fight nasty, dirty, and gritty, and it's it, it's as simple as that. I think Gabriel Benitez to cover minus 200 or whatever he was at initially I have Billy Q. I like Billy Q on the money line. That was my first bet of the week. But um, Billy Q is not going to give him any space to look minus 200. Uh, Billy Q has been finished once in his career. I believe it was like left head kick about five years ago. And Gabriel Benitez certainly does possess real power in his kicks. But I don't think Billy's going to give him space to operate. I think he's going to make this a classic Billy Q fight. And I think we're going to come out at the end of this. It was just like, holy shit, everyone's just down on Billy because he let everyone down in that Gavin Tucker fight. I believe I saw like 90% um, Billy Q in that fight and like 10% Gavin Tucker. Um, but this really feels like a what have you done for me lately kind of spot. And I feel like value is definitely on Billy Q here. I think he's going to grind out a decision win here. I love that you started off this breakdown by saying, what have you done for me lately? Because this is that is like... Rule number one, or at least number one thing that you should think about when you're trying to cap MMA, because it's definitely very heavily influenced by what, by what happened in your last fight. Uh, Mike, how do you feel about this matchup? So I kind of agree with Warrior. Like, I, I think it's a dog or, or pass spot. Um, the one thing is, I, I Billy brings brings the fight to people. Like, he's, he's a pretty violent guy. Like, he's, you know, it makes it hectic. Uh, small ring here. I think he's going to be able to close the distance on, on Benitez. Um, I'm afraid that he's going to take a little too many head, uh, uh, leg kicks because, I mean, we, we all know Benitez can really kick. And um, for me, I took the under two and a half at plus 145 just because of how Billy fights. Um, Billy goes for it. Um, I could see him getting caught with like a head kick too here, like if he just stands out there. But then again, you know, I, I could see him pressuring uh, – Benitez throughout the fight, he, he has a path of taking him down, which Benitez, uh, to his credit, like he has very good get-ups. He doesn't stay down there. Um, I know my friend Z over there, you know, salivates at Benitez. But like it, 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 to me, this fight, it, it's, it's pretty like dog or pass for me. Like you either take the dog or you pass it. I don't see Benitez, like Warrior said, covering that big price tag right now just because it's smaller cage. Uh, Billy pressures a lot. Um, you know, he's not going to give him a lot of those kicking opportunities either, which I think Benitez is going to need to succeed. 
So for me, I, I just got the under two and a half at plus 145. I think getting a, a nice plus number with, in a Billy fight uh, is pretty good. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I, I felt like I was one of the few guys that was actually on Gavin talking the last time around with Billy Quarantillo because I felt like we just needed somebody that was technically a much better striker than Billy Quarantillo, which I believe Gavin Tucker was. And I think a lot of people were reading far too much into that Rick Glenn fight for Gavin Tucker, which is why everybody's like, oh, Billy Q, this is his forte. He drowns people and then eventually finishes them late, which is exactly what we saw with uh, Gavin Tucker and Rick Glenn. But I truly believe that was an anomaly of a fight for Gavin Tucker, especially with that type of performance. And I was happy to get the number that I got on Gavin going into the Quarantillo fight. Everybody called me a nutcase. Everybody called me a fucking jackass for taking uh, Gavin Tucker in that fight. So it's always nice to be on an island for those types of fights and obviously coming out uh, on the right side here. But with B Gabriel Benitez, I think that Gavin Tucker is a much better striker than Gabriel. Gabriel, we obviously know his best asset, as Mike stated, was his kicks. You know, body kicks, uh, leg kicks, head kicks, all of that. Especially the body kicks. That's probably his forte where he's really able to expose his opponents and kind of just take advantage of that and really hammer it home. Uh, the issue here, though, is Billy Quarantillo. I don't know why he doesn't run with this persona, but he is the Homer Simpson of MMA. He takes a shit kicking in like the first round, round and a half, and then starts to pour it on, get stronger as the fight goes on, as his opponent starts to wear down and the cardio starts to go down. It seems like um, uh, Quarantillo only gets stronger the, the, the longer fights go. I would love to see Billy Quarantillo in a five-round fight. I don't know if we're ever going to see it because I don't think he's going to make it to that championship level. He could if he continues to make progression, but what we see right now, I don't think he's a championship-level fighter, but he should be able to beat a guy like Gabriel Benitez, especially keeping him on the back foot for the majority of the fight. We all know it's always hardest to be effective with your kicks when you're on the back foot, and that's what Billy Q does very, very well in this fight, and I think he's going to do that here against Gabriel Benitez, so he'll probably give up that first round. That's almost a given in almost every single Billy Quarantillo fight, but after that, I think he's going to start to take over. I think he's going to put the pressure on Gabriel Benitez. I don't know if he'll finish Benitez. I'm actually going to take him by decision. I think that's the best way that he wins this fight, but I do like Billy Q here. I think he bounces back after that Gavin Tucker loss and comes home with a decision victory. Mike, what do you got, brother? You know, one more thing I didn't mention is that Benitez is dropping down to uh, 45 now. Yeah. And his, his two, uh, one by KO, I think, and one by sub, I, I believe, or they might be both by KO, we're at 45. So I don't know if his chin is not better down here or what's going on, like because of the weight cut. Um, so, you know, that's just all I wanted to say. I mean, this fight is at 45, not at 55, which he normally fights at. Well, I, I believe he's only ever fought at 55 twice yeah, in yeah. the UFC, and then every other time has been at 45. So I'm not entirely sure why he went up in weight, and even after coming off of a win, why he would decide to go back to down to 145 pounds, especially after having that gaffe against Jonathan Pierce where he didn't end up making weight. Uh, but makes weight this morning, no problems, no issues, look great on the scale. So, uh, you know, props to him for actually making the weight this time around. And hopefully fighting tomorrow we haven't made it to the cage yet but hopefully he actually makes it to the cage z how do you feel about this matchup brother man the bookie last time they opened my my boy Mowgli as an underdog versus justin james and this time they opened him atrocious as a dog. atrocious <laughs> they opened him as a dog versus billy q I, I know in most books it was already uh corrected by that point but the, the initial opener did have Mowgli as a dog and i don't know what the bookie's on about i don't know what you guys are on about i got Mowgli here folks i think look people will say he hasn't beaten anybody but he's his losses are all to super legit guys and you want to talk about oh maybe his chin's not that good at 45 no it's because he got hit by sadiq yusuf 
with a crazy counter, and then he got hit with a flush head kick from Andre Feeler. Like those are heavy strikes to be taking, right? Um, fair play, you can factor in the, the chinny factor, right? But I think when I watch the tape, I think Billy Q is at a severe speed disadvantage here, big time. And then if you look at how he got knocked out many years ago, it was from Southpaw head kick. Same with um, his last fight versus Gavin Tucker. Gavin was having a ton of success from a Southpaw stance. Mowgli is a very seasoned Southpaw striker, slams the shin into the inside of the lead leg, into the body, up high, snipes down the pipe. Very, very good. And also is a guy who always fights on the back foot. So I do agree that um, Billy's going to be pressuring in to Mowgli, but that's pressuring into a buzzsaw. And if you're not a fast striker, if you can't compete with him on the feet, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of damage inflicted on Billy Q early, especially that knee up the middle that is is a great tool to stop forward pressure. You slam a couple of those home, you short stop on a guy, um, it can really slow him down. So I understand the angle, like, okay, it's going to be pressure. Billy's a momentum-based fighter, but I just don't see him having the speed or the or the striking ability. And look, guys, I'm a fan of Billy Q. I actually really like his fighting style. Um, but let's be honest, he doesn't have any signature wins. He hasn't competed against anybody of this level. His wins are, with all due respect, Camilla Kirk on contender, Jacob Kilburn, Spike Carlisle, who is entertaining and dangerous in the first round, but gas is bad. And then, with all due respect, Kyle Nelson, who also gas is really bad, especially at 145. So, I... What's that, Warrior? It was Benitez B. <laughs> sorry, really? sorry. I just had to. I had to. Go for it. Go for it. No, I'm you're sorry. right. But but the point is, he hasn't beaten anybody that great, but his losses are to very good fighters, to Omar Morales, Sadiq Youssef, uh, Enrique Barzola, in a fight that he actually uh, fought very well in, in my opinion. Um, he displayed that get-up game that Narco was talking about. And I honestly believe that if this fight happens today, they're going to score it for Mowgli because they tend to favor damage over blanket control, like, yeah. you know in a bigger way nowadays. So with all due respect, boys, I, I'm going with uh, Mowgli, and I hope some more money comes in on Billy and it gives me minus 150 on Mowgli because I would probably take the shot there. I also don't hate taking a shot on Mowgli by uh, knockout because, again, the speed advantage is big. He fights well off the back foot. He's a southpaw striker, and that those are tools that have uh, historically gotten to Billy Q, who, once again, I respect Billy. I really do like him as a fighter, and I think he's a great tool for us gamblers to use against guys who gas out. If he if he's going up against a guy with a shallow gas tank, yeah, bet on Billy Q. Take that third round prop. It's always crazy odds. But this time around, I think he's walking into a buzzsaw. Don't worry, Z. I was on a on an island in the last Billy Q fight. Maybe I'll pay off for you this time around. Mike, what were you saying, brother? You know what I'm gonna say is in that last fight with Tucker, what Tucker really did, and and, and this is the only fight I've really seen Billy Q slow down, and he did slow down big time in that third round is that he worked the body a lot knees up the middle kind of like what z said like that might be like something that really might work for benitez like to kind of use those body kicks the knees to you know and kind of slow billy down when it comes you know for his guessing in the third because we know he has it but tucker took it out of him i think in the last fight with with his body shots i think a lot too was the takedowns of tucker i don't think mobley can replicate that in any way uh tucker kind of offset the billy q pressure with takedowns of his own um i know billy q didn't uh, lay on his back too much but i think a big factor there too was the takedowns of gavin tucker as well there 
That's fair, but I would just I would just add that if Tucker is or if um Billy Q is getting takedowns and Mowgli keeps popping back up, that work rate could could tire Billy out too, or at least like both guys will be getting tired. Essentially, kind of the same thing as getting Tucker taking him down and right, just making them work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I like it. I like it. Let's move on to the next fight here. Talking about guys who gas. We got Rodolfo Vieira going up against Dustin Stoltzfus. Uh, chalk here once again on Rodolfo Vieira. Minus 210 uh, on him. Plus 190, plus 185-ish is what we're getting back on Dustin Stoltzfus. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, I believe we're starting off with Mike for this breakdown. Mike, how do you feel about this matchup between Vieira, the high-level BJJ fighter, and Stoltzfus? So um, we all know like Vieira's gas tank is just... Like, you go back and watch that fluffy fight. Like, the dude is gassed at three minutes in, into the first round. Like, like it, I don't even think he worked that hard. Like, he had him on in mount. Like, I have no idea. Like, I know the guy is built really well. Like, so muscle, you know, needs oxygen, you know, all that. He's probably, you know, that's probably some kind of hindrance to his cardio. Um, But to me, in, in this particular fight, like, I took the alternate line of under two and a half. I got it at my, minus 185. I think that's a bargain in this fight. Like just the way Vieira fights, the way he gasses, which I think opens up opportunities for Dustin later on in the fight. Um, that's what I took. Uh, I wouldn't blame you if you took, you know, Vieira sub first round. Like, yeah, that's a it's pretty good probability. Like yeah, he's such a high level BJJ guy that, he can sub anybody like when he gets him down there and i'm pretty sure he's so physical he's gonna be able to get dustin down there dustin i i believe is a black belt in bjj but again there's levels right this guy's on another level a uh, uh, black belt bjj so my my look on this fight is i want to live bet this fight to be honest like i want to see what dustin does after that first round how he does he make Vieira work for those takedowns? Does he make him, you know, is he able to, you know, do something on the ground, get up, make him work? And then if, if I see that, you know, it might be a, a good opportunity to bet Dustin at a better price than what he is right now after him, you know, probably getting dominated in the first round. Yeah, I like that take here as well. Um, I, I am ultimately going to be siding with the Vieira side of things here. I just think it's a little bit too easy for uh, Dustin to be giving up takedowns here. I think Vieira, his strength and his takedowns will come into play. I think he'll be successful in getting it to the ground. And then from there, he should be able to snatch up that sub. But if he doesn't, man, it's going to be a, a very tough task for him to do it once again in the second round. Now, I had somebody in my comment section uh, on one of my earlier podcasts that I did this week talking about how I'm just writing off Vieira and how he's, you know, I say that he only has six or seven minutes to get it done, yet he has a win in the ninth minute against Oscar Piajota. All three, all four of us on this fucking panel know that Oscar Piajota is a notorious gasser as well, too. So there's no weight to that argument. Not to mention the other fight that went past that seven-minute mark was against a, another guy on the regional scene who was like four and two or four and three at the time. That guy was coming off a two-year layoff and then has yet to fight since that fight as well. So that just lets you know what kind of level of competition he's going up against to be able to snatch a uh, submission that laid into his fight. I just don't think that Stolzfus will have the, the, the submission defense to fend off uh, you know an arm triangle or whatever it might be that Vieira wants to throw at him the guy is just so big and strong and, and physical that I think it's going to be very uh, very difficult for opponents to to deal with that I feel like Anthony Hernandez almost accepted the fact that he was going to be taken down and just drilled submission defense for the entirety of his camp just 
I don't care if I get taken down. Let's just fucking two-on-one with the rear naked choke. Make sure that he doesn't get the rear naked choke that way. Whatever it might be, just defend, 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 and your opportunity is going to come. And that's exactly what happened with Hernandez getting that finish in his own right. I just don't think that Stoltzfus brings that type of grit and that type of submission defense to the table here. Uh, you know, Anthony Hernandez seems to be a little bit of a laughing stock amongst most people, but the people that know him even before he came to the UFC know that he's the real deal. He has good technique. He has good uh, skills. Is very talented as well. But it just kept kept on coming on the on the losing end against some weird, uh, you know, opponents. Kevin Holland was able to dispose of him. He had a good one against uh, Junior Park, I believe, where he darts choked him and got the finish there. But uh, yeah, the Vieira fight. I'm glad that he got that victory and he was able to get his hand raised that night but in terms of this matchup in particular i think that jujitsu was just, just going to be a little bit too much am i pay, playing vera at minus 210 no i i'm not trusting anybody with that bad of a gas tank anymore um and uh, I'm not saying that I bet him last time around. I didn't bet him last time around either. But I think if you want to attack this fight and and back uh, Vieira, you just take the inside the distance or you just take him uh, um, uh, or you take the unders in this fight. The under one and a half plus 112, that could be an intriguing spot. If that's something that you guys want to attack, I think that's his best way to win this fight. And then obviously uh, Vieira by submission minus 110, pretty obvious, right? That, that's probably the way that he's going to win this fight. Z, how do you feel about this matchup? Uh, and do you think that uh, Stoltzfus has the chops to uh, pull off the upset here? Um, I mean, Rodolfo Vieira's red flags are so big that anybody – you can formulate that argument for just about anybody, but I honestly don't think Dustin's the guy. I, I think he is going to get taken down early. And even in that fight versus Fluffy, he, uh, Rodolfo had good positions early. He just got really wild and like was dropping for all kinds of stuff, giving away position, if I recall correctly. Um, and talking about – uh, jiu-jitsu champions there's Ari Faris in the LFA who's about to fight so if you guys are watching this and want to want to jump on something I think that's not a bad look but um yeah in short I don't think Dustin's the guy he does have a black belt in jiu-jitsu himself but like you said there's levels to this Rodolfo Vieira multiple time uh, world champion uh, ridiculously strong I wish he would move up to 205 or I wish there was a 195 pound division because I think he's really sucking too much weight but um yeah, I think that early danger is is too much to uh, take a shot on Stolzfus. Fair play for you guys who said um, live bet it. I think that's a good look. And uh, and Narco for taking the under two and a half at minus one eighty ish range. Yeah, I like. I think that's really good. Shout out to anybody that looked to bet Matos in Bellator. He just finished off Mr. CJ Hamilton. It looked like a body shot and then followed up to uh, some ground and pound. There's a good win from there. Uh, Warrior, do you have any other anything else to actually add to this fight or are you echoing the same sentiments that we got? I mean, in a way, but I'm going to give you kind of a different take. I think it's that was one of the biggest upsets in the last, I don't know how long, and that's weighing on everyone's mind. So it's to play devil's advocate in a way, I think this is kind of a buy low spot for Vieira. Um, when I watched Stoltzfoots on tape, I saw a lot of pulling guard, a lot of leg lock attempts, a lot of open your guard from his back and try to triangle uh, his opponent. And I just think that's bad news for a guy like Vieira. I know as he said, he has a black belt himself, but too much confidence uh, from your back is just going to open up more opportunities for Vieira. And I think round one is probably plus, I think, Round one plus 175 right now for Vieira. I think throw away the under one and a half, throw away the under two and a half. I think this is a buy low spot. Um, everyone's low on Vieira after what happened. He lost. Uh, Fluffy was plus. I don't even know what it was, but it was a crazy upset. Everyone has that on, on their mind. Again, what have you done for me lately? Uh, 
Dustin is not that guy. It's going to be a round one finish for Vieira, and you can get plus 175. So I like that. Uh, he is not that guy indeed. All right, let's move on to this next fight that we got coming up. We got Mateusz uh, Gamrot going up against uh, Jeremy Stevens, and I believe I am the one kicking this one off for you guys once again. Uh, very intriguing fight. Like all fight week, it seems like this is the one that's being talked about the most. Uh, you know, a lot of people believe that the UFC veteran Stevens has some value here around that uh, plus 170, plus 185 mark that he's at. And I, I kind of agree with them, but I still do believe that we'll see Gamrot succeed on getting the fight to the ground, getting enough takedowns that are getting the amount of takedowns that are required to win at least two rounds in this fight and, and take home a decision victory i will say this i do think that jeremy stevens has the advantage on the feet obviously better power maybe better combinations obviously his leg kicks probably won't be a big factor in this fight given the stances that these guys fight in and i believe that that calf kick won't be nullified given the the opposite stances here but i still do think that we'll see big power come from jeremy stevens as long as this fight is in the striking realm um with that said i love the way gamera closes distance with that with his straight down the middle just to close the distance and then go down and snatch that single leg and convert that into a takedown i love that i think that he's going to be able to hit that on numerous occasions here against uh on jeremy stevens my only concern is I don't know how much Gamrot's actually going to be able to control Stevens on the ground. I, I'm not super impressed with his ability to control guys on the ground. I think Stevens does a good job in terms of nullifying the damage and, and control time that his opponents are able to accrue on him. Even if they're landing three, four, five takedowns on him, he does a good job in terms of getting back to his feet. And then obviously once he gets back to the feet, he's throwing hell and high water at, at his opponents. Um, Gamrot, you know, 17 and 0 coming into the UFC, takes his first loss against Grum Kutataladze. And I feel like that fight has a good indicator of how this one could potentially go, especially with Gamrot completing takedowns in that fight, but seeing Garam get back to the feet, nullifying the damage that he's taking on the ground, and then dishing out the damage on the feet. Now, even though Gamrot outstruck him in that fight numbers wise, we could definitely tell that Grum was landing the better strikes on the feet. And we can see that possibly happening here with Jeremy Stevens. I ultimately still do come out on the Gamrot side of things, thinking that he wins this fight by decision. Around plus 220 is not too bad of a line if that's the, the spot that you want to take him. I do think that Jeremy Stevens is still quite durable. I don't know if Gamrot has that knockout power to truly give Stevens issues on the feet, nor do I think he has the technical capabilities similar to what Calvin Cater was able to present against Jeremy Stevens. I don't think he's going to bring that type of striking to this, and I don't think that he'll find that knockout punch on Jeremy Stevens. I think he just grounds his fight at least long enough uh, or at least enough times in two out of three of these rounds to get that decision victory. But I'm not pay playing him at minus 200 here. There's just too many question marks, especially considering the fact that he just doesn't get enough control time. That's my biggest concern here. And as long as this fight is on the feet, I'm going to be sweating my ass off if I have a minus 200 ticket on Gamrod in this spot. I would rather feel much safer with that plus 220 via decision because I just don't see him in one, submitting Jeremy Stevens, or two, finishing Jeremy Stevens. That that combination that he landed on Scott Holtzman was as clean as you'll ever see a one two down the pipe that is probably one of the greatest one two uh, uh combinations i've seen to knock out a fighter and scott holtzman ate every single inch of both of those punches and went to sleep i'd be surprised if he lands the same uh, uh effectiveness on jeremy stevens here he'll probably land good enough just to kind of keep it serviceable and and even enough on the feet for him to eventually find that takedown which i think he'll find at least two three maybe even four takedowns in this fight to take home a decision victory z you see this fight going any differently uh and uh, do you think there's any value on jeremy stevens as a dog i th i was tempted on jeremy but when in, he was creeping up to like 233 like at that mark i think you can take a a shot but again i on i honestly do think gam or uh Gamrot should be uh, favored. Um, but I just, I don't know. This is one of those fights where I just have a hunch. I, I think Gamrot is 
a little bit overrated generally. He does have a good process to his in his game, so I get why people like him. But um, again, I just feel like he's being a little bit overrated. I was able to take advantage of that in his debut. And Jeremy Stevens, you know, he has the most losses in UFC, but that's because he sticks around for so long because he's so dangerous. He also has, uh, I think it's like third or fourth most knockdowns in the UFC, something like that. Uh, so he's just always a very dangerous guy, right? Very veteran fighter, throws big. So that's the type of underdog um, who always kind of has a shot. And it's not really technical analysis, but I just have a hunch he's going to land. That That's that's my take on this one here. I do have a hunch Jeremy's going to sleep uh, Gamrot, but when I when you look at it, yeah, Gamrot's a very good fighter. Like I said, good striking, good grappling, good process, good minute winner, all this good stuff. So I understand why he's the favorite, but if Jeremy gets to plus 233, I think that money line is starting to look a little wide, and I'm just having a look here at his knockout. I mean, his knockout at plus 450, that might not be a bad bad shot you know uh, i do like the fact that we're seeing gamrod train down there at att and you got to believe that's going to help him kind of round out his game but we got to see it in play before we can truly say that they've made a difference uh in his game warrior how are you feeling about this fight do you see any value on lil heathen um i don't have too much to add as far as analysis but um i think you can play this uh throw a unit on decision gamrod throw a unit on jeremy stevens ko and i think you could probably come out on top either which way it happens uh, just the work rate, the pace, and his versatility of Gamrot sort of scares me if I'm on the Steven side. I mean, it, it's obvious why he's the favorite, um, but I'm not too confident here. Like I said, I think you can do Gamrot decision and Steven's KO, and uh, you'll make it out on top. I like it. I like it. Mike, do you have anything to add to this matchup, brother? Pretty similar to them. Like, uh, I'm pretty high. Uh, a little opposite, I guess, of Z. I'm pretty high on Gamrot. Like, it's work great. Um, the guy is just solid everywhere. Um, you know, yeah, I guess he lost his last fight, but to me, he won. Um, it was a split decision. I guess you could have went both ways. I thought he personally, he won that last fight, but, um, it, I just see him grounding Stevens enough times. Like you said, you know, to take, you know, two rounds off of him at minimum. And then, um, you're turning a, a minus 225 into a plus 225 with this and I think that's just like the path he's going to win. Like, I don't think he's stopping Stevens anyway. Like Stevens, very durable, um, you know, very solid on the ground. He's He's going to get up. Like when he gets taken down, he does. I don't think he's going to be able to control him down there. Um, and then he's dangerous on the feet. But I, I also think Gamrot has a, a pretty good chin. So, yeah, Stevens can crack. I'm, I'm not saying he, you know, if he cracks him, he's probably going to put him out. But, but he does have a chin. So, um, yeah, I, I just see – the value in Gamrod at, at plus 225 by decision, I think that that's a good play. I think the most important question for this matchup has been posed by our guy, Sex God, saying the real question is if Gamrod will move when he gets knocked out. That's the real question in this fight. All right, let's move on to the co-main event here. We got Marion Renault going up against Misha Tate. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 140 for the returning Misha Tate and uh, plus 120-ish for the retiring Marion Renault. Very interesting that we got completely different sides of the spectrum here. Somebody returning from retirement, somebody going into retirement. Z, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off. Personally, I don't want anything to do with this matchup considering all the circumstances surrounding it. But do you see any value in this fight at all? And ultimately, who do you think ends up winning? I'd just like to address the guy who stole my screen name. And uh, what are the odds on that prop for Gamrot not moving? after he gets knocked out. Give me a line on that. Um, but no, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, Renault versus Tate, 
how do you bet this? Like, honestly, like Renault is, is dangerous. Tate, if she's been improving and in the gym this whole time and she looks good physically, so it's reasonable to assume that she has had enough time off to develop a whole new skill set. So, but it's just such a blind situation that I don't want to back Misha Tate coming in here. I've ne I was never really that high on her throughout her career. Um, but I mean, Marion Renault is like, you know, a very old, with all due respect, a very old fighter, um, by UFC fighter standards. So could she come in, in here and get grinded up against the cage and ragdolled by Tate? I, I think it's realistic to assume that, or if Tate comes back and gets, you know, shoots and gets guillotined and everyone's like, oh, she was coming off such a big layoff. She had retired. Like, I just have no desire to bet this fight one way or the other over under dog favorite i'm yeah i'm not interested at all i completely understand that the, the weird part about this is the fact that misha tate decided to hang it up at 29 years old that's almost like prime time for mma fighters not to mention she takes five uh, five years off has two kids and now comes back at 34 years old it's just so difficult to really put a finger on what she's going to look like coming into the cage warrior do you have any intel on this that we're not seeing uh how do you feel about this fight all in all I believe I tweeted like three or four days ago. How could anyone bet Misha Tate as a favorite in this spot? Yeah. This is like a real easy fight to break down if you're just looking on paper and wiki capping, like, oh, Renault has four losses in a row. Tate was minus 260 versus Amanda Nunes. What could be so different here? 34 versus 44. But a, lo a lot of people are talking about how Misha Tate looks good and in her on her IG, it looks good in camp. When has Misha Tate ever looked bad? Yeah. Come on. You're right. She's a good-looking girl. That's what people are talking about. And um, I, this is just a weird fight. I know I said that you can't bet Tate here, but I'm not I'm not rushing to the window to bet Marion Renault. Like, what the fuck? She's 44 years old. To her credit, I don't think she had – I don't think she's looked bad in any of her losses, the last four losses. She was, like, outside of that – I think she got clipped with a left hook versus um, Macy Chasson in that second round. Before that, though, and, like, the sequences after that in round three, how that played out, you take away that left hook, and she probably wins that decision. That was such a big moment in round two, and I just think I, I hope more money comes in on Tate, and I'll be on Renault here at 44 years old, and I think she's going to get the job done here. Yeah, uh, Mario Renault seems to be the fade just because she's like 40 plus years old in the last several fights. And I was one of the few people that was on Mario Renault going into the Mesa Gyasson fight, as I believe that there's a little bit of a value there. And I don't think anybody expected her to win at least one or uh, that first round, which exactly is what she did that night. Uh, and then it seemed like after that Mesa Gyasson was like, fuck it, let's get into the clinch and let me start to overpower you. And then obviously, like Warrior stated, that left hook that she was able to land, I think ended up breaking Mario Renault's nose as well. That definitely swayed that fight as well. Yeah, very, very close fight. Mike, how do you feel about this matchup between the returning Tate and the outgoing Marion Renault? Complete pass. Like, I, one thing is, like, one person is, you know, away from the ring for five years for God knows why. You know, she has kids, whatever. I, I don't know what the reasoning was, but she was, like you said, 29, you're in your prime and you just leave for five years, right? The other person is stating in an interview, I can't wait to retire. She's 44. <laughs> like, I... How could you bet either side here? Like, I, I don't see it's It's so many red flags in this fight that there's red flags on both sides. So I, it's a complete pass for me. Z, go ahead. But, but someone's going to bet this fight and win. You know what I mean? So someone <laughs> in hindsight will be going, oh, it was me, Marion Renault. They'll <laughs> be the Sharpies. Uh, I will there's say nothing sharp about betting this fight. Let's just say that yeah. there's nothing sharp. No matter what happens, 
there's nothing sharp about venomous fight in my opinion i will say this though for the james kraus lovers apparently misha tate is the strongest play for this weekend that's james kraus <laughs> but either way uh in regards he to hit maya he hit maya, uh, he hit maya and aldana which were Robert. his strongest plays Robert. uh Robert. <laughs> uh i will say this though um Mary Renault could make this a closer fight. Like she could absolutely make this a scrappy, aggressive fight. Uh, I believe Misha Tate needs to land takedowns here to have true success and actually even live up to that minus 140 mark that she's at. But I think that if this fight stays on the feet, Mario Renault could make it very dirty. She has a decent weight tie and aggressive game. Uh, she can definitely put the pressure on Misha Tate, push her back. She knows this is a retirement fight. Do you really think she wants to go off at an 0-5 clip before she ends up hanging up the gloves? No. To end off your career with a win over a girl like Misha Tate, albeit her coming off of retirement, would be a big feather in the cap, even though she's on four in her last four, uh, last four fights. So I, I think Renault could make it a much closer fight than most people are expecting it to be. And even though she's 44 years old, this is women's MMA at the end of the day, folks. She can make this a close fight. if she Maybe if she stops a couple takedowns or whatever the hell it is and keeps this fight on the feet, she could absolutely go out there and outstrike Misha Tate. But I still go back to the thing that I, I always usually um lean on the grappler here and i think that misha tate's grappling credentials or her grappling prowess is enough to go out there and get this fight to the ground time and time again and grind out renault but i'm not going out there and putting my hard-earned money on a fight like this where you know if we're uh, tate you know first time live action in not over five years if she can't complete the takedown she's fucked i'm in my opinion she's yeah. fucked if she can't land at least two takedowns in this fight i think she's gonna get out worked by mario and renault go ahead narco and to be honest, like I know you're saying she's a good grappler, but she did not look good against Raquel Pennington. Like, That's another thing. I, I yeah. mean, I mean, she was getting out grappled in that fight. And she's an overrated like grappler. Watch that uh, Nunez rear naked choke back. She it, it feels like she fake went to sleep in that fight. Watch that back. It was a rear naked choke finish for Nunez, right? Mm -hmm. And I watched that sequence a few times, and I was just like, she's not even under the chin, and like. It played out to where she she kind of acted like she was out, and I don't even think there was a tap. It was just weird. I think to Narco's point, Tate's not really a good grappler. Like her wrestling, she shoots a shit ton of takedowns, but is it any good? I think her optics on the feet are horrible. I know I, I said uh, when she gets hit, her optics are horrible, but who who really likes to get hit? But it's obvious with Tate. Anytime you land a big punch on her, she backs up. Her face is like. It's like Alexis Davis. You hit Alexis Davis with one shot, her face turns red, and she swells up easily. I think Misha Tate's exactly like that. Five years off, you can't you can't teach someone how to take a punch. So if uh, Tate isn't getting these takedowns, watch out. Renault is a is by far the better striker in my opinion. So uh, watch out. And she's dangerous on the ground. I mean, to uh, like she's not some slouch on the ground either. Yeah, she has good jiu-jitsu. You know, she she, she throws up. She seen. throws up a lot of subs. From, mm -hmm. from, from the bottom so you guys are talking yourselves into betting marion renault here. I, <laughs> I see but to your point lock about renault could make this fight look a lot closer i mean the line's not that crazy it's only i know i know, I know. Now that I'm, so uh, to right. warriors to warriors point i would say wait for some misha tate money to come in the ig fans are gonna better and then you take her when she's like i don't know plus 180 maybe she looks good she yeah. always does on ig what the fuck when has she not come on <laughs> when she's fucking I'm, pregnant come on. <laughs> uh, I, I will say this renault inside the distance plus 470 just throwing that out there just right. saying but ultimately in terms of a pick i'm going to be going with the tate side of things here uh, I, I do think she picks up the, the decision victory in this spot but i am not touching that fight with my money at all z i believe you are next up on this or did we already get to you Sure, I'll go for uh, Islam Makhachev and uh, Tiago No, no, no. Did you, did you talk about Tate and Renault? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, well, I'm just completely out of my mind that I believe we got. You don't remember yeah. that he picked Mary Renault? I, I, I don't actually. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to to the next fight here. Obviously, it's the main event. Uh, do want to remind you guys, as always, please do hit that like, hit that subscribe. Best way to show your support for the show, and obviously, show some support for the guys that are on the panel tonight. Their links to their Twitter pages is in the description below. So go on over there, click on those links, and hit that follow. Trust me. You're going to thank me for it later. All right, let's get to the main event slot here. We got Islam Mahachev going up against Tiago Moises. Uh, very intriguing matchup between lightweights here. It seems like nobody wants to fight Mahachev. Uh, Tiago Moises is over here trying to get some more respect and accepts the fight, especially in the main event slot here. It should be very big for whoever comes out on the winning end. And I believe we have my guy Warrior taking off, uh, starting off this uh, fight for us. So how do you see this fight going down between the heavily chalked Islam Mahachev and the plus 400-ish underdog, uh, uh, Tiago Moises. I'm not making any bold statements here, but the best 155er in the world can do whatever he wants to Tiago Moises. Uh, play round four, Islam Mahachev. He's the best 155er in the world. He's going to win in round four with three minutes and 17 seconds on the clock. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Mystic warrior over there calling the, the minutes and seconds of this fight. I love it. I love it. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling about this matchup between the Dagestani uh, fucking Islam Mahachev and Tiago Moises? So I have a little bit of a different take. Like, I'm really impressed with Islam. Like, like Warrior said, the dude is top five right now. I think he's a top five guy. Um, but the one thing, like, to me that I saw from Moises is he has a good get-up game. He does not stay down on the ground. I think he's going to make Islam work. Like, like I know – look, Benny is a good grappler. Benny Benny's a good wrestler. Like, he, he has top pressure. Like, you know, Moises kept getting up over and over again in that fight. Yeah, he got dominated. I, I agree. The one thing I also saw, like, kind of – me personally, I took Makachev by decision. That's, that's where I see his path. I don't see him stopping Moises. I, I took him at minus 115, but Makashas has never been past the third round. He's only been three rounds. Moises has been five rounds three different times. He's been there. So we really don't know what – I know Makachev probably has good Kreider, but we don't know. We, we've never seen him in the fourth and fifth rounds. The other thing that, that I saw is in that Armin fight, like Makachev really, really slowed down. I know it was a high-paced fight. There was a lot of grappling, but – he really slowed down in that third round. He was tired. And, and, and I think if, if Moises can make him work a lot and get, get this fight to the fourth and fifth rounds, he, he might have that slim opportunity to, to maybe stop Makachev late. Just because we don't it's – it's an unknown as to what his cardio will look like in the fourth and fifth round when he's constantly going for takedowns. Um, you know, Moises is fighting him off. Yeah, he might be going down. I'm not saying he's not going to go down, but he doesn't stay down there. And then, and then, you know, as this goes on later and later, you know, he might tire out. Like I saw him tiring out against Armand who took the fight on short notice. So like, I know Armand's a great, you know, wrestler, grappler, but, but Moises is not a slouch on the ground either. So like, yes, I have Makachev at minus 115, you know, by decision, but I also took a small poke at plus 4,500 and plus 5,000 for Moises in round four and five, just because I haven't seen Makachev there, but I have seen Moises there three different times. I don't mind that uh, angle at all. And I will give you a little bit of credence once again to my breakdown as well. But it looks like Fortune just made Matt Mitrione tap to strikes. Not a good look for Matt Mitrione at this point in his career. So uh, I 
whiff on my dog of the night play for the Bellator. I had the over one and a half there. I was expecting Fortune to just kind of lay and pray a little bit more rather than just go out there and get that kill. But uh, good work by Fortune to get the victory there. But in terms of this matchup between Mahachev and Moises, I think um, the one thing that we've seen from Moises, especially if you go back and watch his regional tape, he does have good technical striking. Like he has, you know, he, he has good uh, head kicks, obviously, great striking, good combinations. But the issue that he had in the regional scene was that he didn't really force anything he almost seemed to allow his opponent to kind of dictate the pace and the the pressure of the fight and whereas he was just always on his back foot and was throw his combinations every now and then it just wasn't effective enough we've seen him kind of you know grow in a sense like and not to mention back when he was in rfa going five rounds he was only 21 years old now he's 26 years old has a wealth of experience under his belt going up against the stiffest test of his career bar none but I think his striking uh, might even be a tad bit better than Islam in this fight, where if he's able to go out there and be the person that's actually going first and putting the pressure on Islam, he could have some success with his striking. And we've obviously seen the only time Islam has lost a fight was that one time he got knocked out by Adriano Martins. I'm not saying that 100% Moises is going to go out there and replicate that type of performance, but that's something that we definitely have to take into consideration here. I believe most people think that the only way Moises wins this fight is if he throws up a submission off of his back or it gets a reversal and then ends up on top or something like that. I personally think he's going to have uh, the most amount of success he'll have is on the feet. I do believe Mahachev is a decent striker, but I think that Moises could potentially give him some issues there depending on how long the fight actually stays on the feet. We saw how good he obviously looks against a guy like Alexander Hernandez where he's able to kind of dictate the pace and the pressure of the fight. Not saying he's going to be able to do that here against Mahachev, but as long if this fight is in the striking realm more than it is in the grappling realm, I'd be a little bit, uh, I'd be sweating that Mahachev ticket a little bit more, whether it's a decision inside the distance or even if you have him as a parlay piece. I do think, though, that we've seen Mahachev make the appropriate changes and the improvements that he's needed in his striking defense to kind of nullify any type of uh, strikes and power coming back his way. I think he'll almost counter it any time that Thiago Moises tries to commit to a combination of any sort. I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of change levels or even faint changing levels to kind of keep Thiago Moises on the tip of his toes. I will. Th I do think he'll complete takedowns. That's without a doubt. And I think he will be successful in grinding him out. I just think that uh, to to Mike's point in terms of seeing Moises continues to get back to his feet, I don't think he's just I don't think he's ever faced somebody like Mahachev in terms of having that type of heavy pressure from on top, which I think is going to truly give him the the issue. The one thing I will gr agree with Mike with though is Moises will make him work. And we've never seen Mahachev go that round four and round five, and that could potentially be an issue for him. On the flip side, though, we have seen Moises go five rounds, but we've never seen him deal with this type of pace and pressure either. So both guys are question marks the later that this fight goes. But I still end up on the Mahachev side here. Chalk or not, the guy is a, a crazy talent. His wrestling is unparalleled. His entries on his takedowns, his completion of takedowns, his top pressure is just so unrelenting that I find it hard that anybody's going to be able to combat that effectively, even if you're a high-level jiu-jitsu player like Thiago Moises is. So... Uh, just to quickly recap, I think Moises will have some success on the feet. I don't think it's going to be enough to actually get him the win here or the knockout, but I do think that's the, the 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 best path to victory for him is on the feet and potentially finding a knockout rather than finding a submission off of his back, which I think is going to be near impossible against a guy who has that top pressure like Islam Mahachev. The side that I'm going with is Mahachev and Mahachev by decision, plus 105, plus 120, as you can find at certain spots. I think that's the spot to go with on this card or, or this fight. I think Moises is going to be tough to put away it all just depends on how these guys cardios look like going into rounds four and round five dealing with the pressure and the pace and the activity that they're going to be giving to each other so uh i'm hoping that mahachev's cardio is good enough to go out there and put on that five round pace and take home that decision victory that's how i like this fight going down z
How do you see this matchup going uh, down between the Khabib prodigy Islam Mahachev and, and according to Warrior, the next lightweight champion uh, and Tiago Moises? Yeah, this is just another level, brother. This is father's plan, you know. This is um, <laughs> I I think uh, I think Islam boxes him up. I think yo, your take on uh, that Moises is best chances on the feet. I think that should tell you all you need to know because I don't think he has much of a chance on the feet. If I'm being honest, I think uh, Islam is just a complete fighter, great athlete, um, really good southpaw game, very very composed, very uh, risk averse, you know, and. I think he can take down Tiago at, at will and just hold him down. And I think this is going to be one-way traffic. So honestly, I agree with uh, Warriors take that he's going to finish this in the fourth round. Um, that was exactly my prediction as well. I don't know if you're watching my channel, Warrior. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I understand that like Moises has been five rounds before and we haven't seen Islam go five rounds and fair play to Narco for saying, you know, he was tired in the Armin fight. But Armin Sarukian's a tough wrestler, man. Like he's hard. He's very, very hard to take down to control. He's very strong himself. He's gone on to be undefeated since fighting Islam. I think he's another guy who's right in the mix, you know. Whereas Tiago, we've seen him controlled for large portions of fights. You know, Benil Dariush took him down at will, held him down at will. So if this is one-way traffic where Islam is landing on the feet and taking him down and raining ground and pound down or, or just dominating him. I think he eventually wears out Tiago Moises. I, I, and I really like Tiago, you know, I used him to fade Alexander Hernandez last time out. I, I think he has a serious skill set, but I do think Islam is just a step ahead, especially in the striking. Like Tiago is doing a lot of things really well. He's developing, he's well-schooled and well-drilled, but I think, um, I think Islam not only has a great stylistic game for him, but is on another level striking wise. So, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with Islam being the favorite. Of course, minus 700 for a fist fight is always going to be a little wide. But I think um, taking Islam inside the distance at plus 150 is the way I would play this fight just because he has 25 minutes to get Tiago out of there. And I see this being one way traffic uh, the whole fight. So, um, yeah, that, that's my take on it. But honestly, if you want to take Islam by decision instead, I, I see that angle as well. I, I It could play out that way. It's just from my perspective, I think he's going to get a finish uh, down the stretch. All right. All right. So pretty much everybody on Islam Mahachev here. Slight differences in terms of how we think it's going to get done. But ultimately, that minus 600 should end up cashing. All right. The last segment that I like to do of the show here is the lock of the night play or everybody's most confident play of the card. I'll start off with uh, with this. Uh, the spot that I like the most, first fight of the night, under one and a half, and Nascimento versus Baudo. Uh, I'm expecting Nascimento to get that takedown with relative ease. And then shortly thereafter, find an arm triangle choke. Baudo does not deserve to be inside the UFC. He is not UFC level. Could potentially land a Hail Mary knockout as Nascimento closes the distance here. I just don't see it happening. I think it's Nascimento easily getting the takedown here. Not much resistance. And then eventually finding that choke. I'd say sub three minutes. Three minutes, he's going to find that submission on Bado here. And uh, yeah, under one and a half, minus 145. That's my lock of the night play for this weekend. Z, what's your most confident bet on the card? Yeah, I mean... My, I mean, the biggest bet of me for the weekend is that fight doesn't go the distance. So I would say that. But you, I know you want at least minus 300, I think you said. Minus 250. Minus 250. Okay. So I do see you can bet fight doesn't start round three in that fight. That would, that would be how I do it. But honestly, I, I I mean, the under one and a half is, is probably a good look as well. So, um, yeah, that that's the, the read that I'm just the most solid on. So, 
it could be Nascimento inside. It could be the under one and a half. It could be the doesn't go. Any any type of combination or selection out of there, I think, is pretty, pretty uh, solid. I like it. Warrior, what, what do you like the most on this upcoming card? You guys are putting me in a tough spot here. I was going to go with the same goddamn fight, but um, it, if you guys are taking uh, that one as well, I'll go ahead and go something different. Under one and a half for Vieira Stolzfus. Uh, you can get that at a plus number. I think this is Vieira round one submission. And I'm going to give you another one, too. I don't think the main event has started for Bellator up next. Um, no. Go ahead and take the under four and a half in that one as well. I think uh, Velasquez is going to finish her via submission in that fight. Shit. There you guys go. Some live MMA betting action for you guys before the Bellator main event kicks off. Uh, Mike, what's your lock of the night play for UFC Vegas 31? So mine was going to be that under two and a half in the Stoltzfus fight. But but you know what? I like I love Lemos inside the distance. Like plus 115, plus money, like. I really love that play. So at plus money, I, 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 probability is so high for it to happen, to be honest. Yeah, that's right. Lemos in round one at plus 300 is the lock of the night. Come on. Let's there, you go. Go. <laughs> there you go. There hey, you oh, go. round one plus 500. <laughs> Uh, pretty much what we've been able to say this entire podcast is tomorrow night there's going to be some violence there's definitely going to be some violence in plenty of the fights so if you're taking the unders in most of those fights more often than not i think you'll end up cashing all right uh i'll spin around the horn one last time to allow these guys to plug whatever they want to plug so z first and foremost let the peeps know where they can find you and anything that you want to plug as well yeah much respect Locke. and you know i'll come on here anytime i can um Follow me on Twitter at ZZMMA, YouTube ZZMMA. I have ZZMMA.ca if you want to uh, check out what I got going on. Um, tracked on BetMMA.tips as we all are. So, uh, yeah, under Rockstar Z or ZZMMA as well. And a bonehead move from Z here. Not even plugging Fair Play Fridays that he likes to do every uh, YouTube. Hey, it's all the same. <laughs> There you go. Make sure you guys catch these podcasts every Friday evening where he brings on three guests as well and tries to go through the card. Uh, Warrior, what do you want to plug for the fans here, brother? Uh, you see it on the screen. Follow me on Twitter at WarriorBetMMA. And I recommend you do not watch my easiest money of the weekend. Because <laughs> holy shit, we're off to a terrible start. I'm out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, make sure you guys go follow a warrior bet. He is a very, very sharp dude. I promise you guys will enjoy his takes. Uh, Mike, what do you got to plug, my brother? Just follow me on on Twitter at NarcoCop. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with these two, uh, you three guys. I mean, all you very sharpies. Um, that's it. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. All right. Well, that that was uh, that's pretty much the episode here. Again, the links to the Twitter pages are in the description below. So make sure you guys go give them some love. Uh, the fights kick off 7 p.m. Eastern. I believe this is the start time tomorrow. So make sure you guys catch those fights. And we'll be back next week as well for uh, UFC Vegas 32. Uh, I'll announce the cast for that as soon as I uh, confirm it. I have two more guys that I'm waiting to hear back from. But as soon as I get the information, I will make sure to pass that along to you guys. Lastly, 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, fight day live chat. That's where the, the stream is pretty much all for you guys comments questions uh concerns all of that stuff i'll be fielding all of that for you guys 1 p.m eastern tomorrow good luck on your bets and uh war not cemento round one <laughs>